Hello everyone, I'm Sue Singleton. Welcome back to Medical Intuitive Insights with Sue Singleton. It's all in the details. Today's episode is how I became a medical intuitive. And it is interesting. Over the years, many, many people have asked, usually either the our office staff or me directly, so who certified you as a medical intuitive? Where did you get your training? And the honest and short answer is God, or Creator, or Universal Consciousness, depending on how you would uh, define that. Again, for me, I name this God, and maybe as I share my story, you will understand uh, why this is how I label these experiences. So this story begins back in my childhood in that I obviously had healing gifts. When I was a little girl, I saw the world differently already. And I was able to see these particles that I didn't understand at the time. And they were little wiggly moving things that were inside of everything. And it was inside trees and leaves and in the air. It was everywhere. And I remember asking my parents, what is that? And their answer was, oh, it's dirt floating around in the air. And I said, no, 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 no. It's way littler than dirt. And it's moving around. It's little, little particles of something. And probably as a child, I didn't use the word particles, but little pieces of something is probably the word I used. And at that point, when I realized that I saw things differently than other people did, I decided I wasn't going to talk about it anymore. And I had very frequent cases of deja vu, which in case you don't want know what that is, deja vu is seeing something in advance of it happening. So knowing the premonition. And it would happen about really serious things and it would happen about mundane things. I remember once it happened that I had a deja vu experience knowing that one of the boys on the school bus was going to grab my jacket and throw it out the window and that the school bus driver was going to have to turn around and go back so that we could get my jacket. And yes, it did happen after my deja vu experience. And in more sort of serious circumstances, I had the premonitions of people's deaths. And it was something that I wasn't really comfortable with and the people around me weren't particularly comfortable with it so I started keeping to myself but I was interacting with dead people on a regular basis and especially my uncle who passed away when I was quite young I was about eight or nine and I communicated with him on the other side on a daily basis actually so there were these little hints that were happening but I threw myself into a very different way of looking at things when I realized that I didn't really feel supported or necessarily believed. And I do remember even another striking incident when I believe I was a teenager, I don't remember exactly how old I was, that my parents would occasionally go to a dowser for healing sessions. So you think of dowsing just using uh, for finding water to drill wells and find water. But dowsing um, can be for helping 
do other things energetically to help support the body. So my parents invited me to go with them to visit their dowser that was helping them with some health situations and it was energy healing. And I remember as I was there, I was just watching and the dowser lady said, Sue, you're a healer. And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, yes, you are. So she was working on my father. She was explaining the different levels of the aura, the physical layer, the mental layer, emotional layer, and spiritual or etheric layer. She just said there were these various layers. So she said, I'd like you to come over and I would like you to put your hand at where the outer edge of your father's physical aura layer is. And I walked over and I went, she's, you nailed it. Yeah, that's it. And then uh, she asked me, okay, go to the next layer. So we repeated this. And on one of them, um, she was stepping back a little bit. On one of them, she said, huh, that's an unusual uh, distance. But then she stepped in and she measured and she says, yeah, yeah, that was right. She said, at first it took me off because the size of that particular layer for your father was different than most people. And she kept saying, saying, you are a healer. I said, no, I'm not. But anyway, these little things started happening, but I shut them down as much as I could. So I went on to study languages, French, Spanish, and German in college. And then I proceeded to get an MBA in finance and international business and decided that I was going to pursue this whole avenue. So everything about my spirituality and my intuition got kind of shut down for a bit. I worked in Manhattan for a while. Uh, then I relocated back to Boston, went into banking, various different types of banking, and ultimately became a banking executive. And a lot of things started happening. And one of the things and the first one of real importance, uh, two extremely important turning points happened to me in 1990. So in spring of 1990, I was married to my abusive first husband who had threatened to kill me on numerous occasions. And this was a regular part of my life. In between, he seemed quite nice, but the least little thing could set him off. And so I had numerous times where he threatened to put my head through a wall or to choke me to death. And I learned to just shut down and be quiet because I decided he means it. So there was no reason to antagonize him. And I had joined a spiritual study group. It's called the Edgar Cayce Search for God Study Group. And I went on a weekly basis to this. And some of my friends in that said, hey, we're going to a weekend workshop and would you like to go with us? And I said, well, what's it all about? And they said, it's a spiritual journey to visit the Akashic Records. And as I mentioned in one of the other podcasts, the Akashic Records is another way of saying the place of all knowledge. The, it is often visualized as a library for many people, but it's basically that space of discernment that I described in the prior episode. And it's where everything becomes known to you that you need to know. And it's a vast, vast resource. And I said, sure, I'd love to go. And I signed myself up. 
And as the date approached, I had told my husband that I was going and he was not very happy that I was going to be going and I said, well, I am going. I just really need to do this. As the date approached, he said, I'm going with you. And I said, no, I don't, I don't want you to go with me. And he kept pushing it and he said, I have to go with you. And I said, what do you mean you have to? He said, because I had a dream that you're going to die in a car accident if I don't go with you. I said, oh, interesting. So begrudgingly, he went with me. And we were sitting in a, this was an, held in a big barn in New Hampshire. And the wonderful workshop leader was Henry Leo Balduck an amazing uh, doctor of hypnotherapy. He did all sorts of spiritual things and this particular weekend, as I said, it was a, a journey to the Akashic Records. And we're all lined up in these folding metal chairs on a cold, damp day in the spring. And as Dr. Bolduck was leading us along through it was basically a group hypnotherapy session and people could go to different levels of tapping in and as I was sitting there my then husband was sitting next to me on my left and there were people that I knew there as well as people I didn't know and as Dr. Bolduck was conducting this he was describing a path and at a certain point there was a bump in the road on this path almost like a big log or something. But as I approached this in the meditation, all of a sudden, I literally felt myself being lifted out of my chair, probably an inch and a half, two inches out of this metal chair, and then slammed back down into the chair, like, whoa. And this visit, I'll, I won't share all the details of this visit, but eventually ended up in this Hall of Knowledge or the Akashic Records. And as I was in there and we were being guided, there was someone to help me because there was a whole series of books related to me and my soul's journey. And at one point in time, I saw this giant book that was on an upper shelf that I knew I couldn't get down by myself. So a, a being showed up and he helped get the book down and he carried it over to a table for me and I was asked to open the book to whatever page I'm drawn to. So I opened it up. And as I looked at the page, everything was in a different language. And I said, translation, please. First thing that came to me was like, obviously, if I'm at this massive book all about me, I need it translated. I need to know about me. What do they need me to know? And so the translation happened in a very interesting way that in the left upper hand corner of the left hand page where I was, there was this image that looked a bit like a yin and yang symbol, and yet it also was two faces in this yin and yang symbol, a little bit like the Rorschach imaging that it looks like two different things or three different things depending on how you're looking at it. And as I glanced at this symbol or picture in the upper left corner, all of a sudden it turned into a video clip. And I saw this video clip of me 
on a track, like a, a running track in a high school or a college, and I was in the starter blocks, and this tall, handsome African-American man was right next to me, and we were both smiling a lot, and we crouched down, and the whatever, the sound happened for us to go ahead and start running, and here we are, we're running along, smiling, and running really fast, and neither one outpacing the other, and we were moving so quickly that these bodies turned into speeding bullets. Now the speeding bullets still had these smiley faces on them. And then these speeding bullets were running around the track, whizzing around the track. And all of a sudden these two whizzing bullets turned into fish. And these fish started swimming in this incredibly tight circle until all of a sudden it was glowing white light, this glowing white ring of light. As this video clip type of presentation continued, I saw so many details of this incredible loving relationship and incredibly spiritual relationship happening. And I saw myself standing next to this man and speaking before crowds of people and sending out energy and light to crowds and crowds of people. And I just was mesmerized with watching this. There were more pieces of our life together that played out. And this particular video clip then ended with me in a long white robe and holding a little baby up and I'm looking at the baby and the baby's looking at me and at the time I wasn't sure how to interpret that I later realized that that wasn't about me him and me having a baby of course I didn't even know who the man was at that time and it was really about me being reborn it's a new me a brand new Sue clear as day, it was very obvious to me that Creator had a much better plan for my life than an abusive marriage. So as Dr. Bolduck brings us all back into the room, I'm thinking, oh my word, what am I going to do or say? So what he does is he pairs everyone up, uh, four people per group. And so my then husband and I are paired up with another husband and wife that we hadn't yet met. And he said, want you, each of the four of you to take turns sharing what your experience in the Akashic Records was. And as, however it played out, as luck would have it, I suppose you'd say that the other three people said, Sue, share your experience first. They could see the look on my face that obviously a lot had happened. I said, oh, no, 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 you, you go first. I kept pushing the other couple. No, 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 we want to hear yours first. And so I shared it, similar to how I described to you. And I said, it's very, very clear that I need to leave this marriage. And I turned to my husband and I said, I needed to say this publicly so that I'm safe in getting this knowledge out. So if anything happens to me, 
I have witnesses that I can't go on like this anymore. Now, you can imagine what this other couple, they just met us and they're like, what? It must have been so uncomfortable for them. It was very uncomfortable for me. So they were rather speechless. And then my former husband, I'm not going to name him here just for privacy purposes, said, well, I'll go next. So he proceeded to share his. And he proceeded to say that he also had been risen up out of his chair an inch or two and then dropped back in. And his journey had said a similar message in terms of the essence of it being we needed to part our ways. And you can imagine what a huge sigh of relief this was for me. And it was basically that we were basically pulling each other down, that our work together was finished. So incredible relief for me that he would not fight me or kill me in the process of this, or so I hoped. But still a little uneasy. And almost like a tremendous sense of relief in a way for him, but more so for me, I guess. And I asked him while he was in this open space, apart from the other couple, later that day when we were by ourselves, I said, you know, why have you done this to me? And he said, when I first met you, you were just something I aspired to be like. There was just something about you that I can't name. And he thought if I hung out with you enough that the way that you are would rub off on me. And he said, and what instead has happened is I've felt more and more inadequate. I can't, you're not rubbing off on me. You're rubbing me the wrong way. And now I have wanted to destroy you more than I've wanted to love you. And I went, oh my God, at, at least you're being honest with me. So anyway, that, that being said, very interesting coming weeks. Um, called my parents and his mother and stepfather to tell them that we were going to be getting a divorce. And unfortunately, within um, a week or two, he changed his mind. And that became a whole brouhaha that we went through for me to be able to get him to understand this still needed to happen. And in the process of that, he actually did strangle me. And that was obviously the most frightening thing you can imagine. And just before I passed out, he let go of his hands around my throat and he said, oh my God, what have I done? And I just said, you're out. This is it. You know, I was going to give you time, but no, you're out. So I went ahead with the divorce. <clears throat> now, fast forward to later that year. Uh, I believe it was November of 1990. And as a banking executive, I was commuting back and forth to Boston. And I would park in a parking lot outside and then take the MBTA in from there and I was on my way home and driving on the main access way to exit and this man driving was speeding through there at about 50 miles an hour and I had the right of way and I did not see him coming he t-boned me right on the driver's side and I got well my head hit the the side of the 
car, the post in between the front door and the back door, and then I got caught and twisted in my seat by the seat belt and the shoulder strap and was knocked unconscious. I'm unsure how long I was unconscious, but by the time I came to, the man had backed his car away from my car, had gotten out of his car, and had come over to me and said, oh my God, are you okay? And I was so dazed, I said, I, I don't know. And there wasn't any blood from the head injury, but I clearly had an extreme headache. And I declined medical assistance. The ambulance came, but me being me, the analytical banker, I got to get home. And they pulled the uh, pulled the fender and, and things out enough so that I could actually limp home in my car. It was a mess, but I had to get out the other side, the other door. I couldn't open that door. And I drove it home because I said I wanted to go to my own mechanic to have him check it out. And as I said, I turned down the advice of the ambulance drivers. And I went ahead and went home. And I started blacking out. Every single day, I kept blacking out, blacking out, blacking out. I did go to my primary care doctor the very next day. And they became concerned about subdural brain bleed. And... Uh, as I kept blacking out, this happened. I had called my family and my older brother ended up driving to Massachusetts to help figure out what to do, how to help me. And given that the medical doctors were looking at this subdural brain bleed, they sent me for um, an initial MRI and they couldn't see the brain bleed, but all my symptoms were showing that I had one. Meanwhile, as my brother is here, I start having these really unusual things happen besides the blackouts. And it was one of them. I was just lying there on the couch <clears throat> and this voice from inside of me, a male voice, said, Sue, I am here and we have much work to do. And I said, uh, who, who are you? And the answer was, I am God. I am that I am. And I, my eyes kind of popped wide and I thought, oh my word. Or maybe I said, oh my God. <laughs> and he said, it's okay, I just want you to breathe and we're going to be going through some specific clearing exercises. So each step, uh, we were clearing all of my chakras, starting at the root chakra and working our way up to the seventh chakra. And each step of the way, he said, I don't want you to be afraid. Just let me know when you're ready and just breathe into the area I'm telling you to breathe into. And so one led to the next to the next. And during this whole process, each chakra activated in a way that I could hear the musical instruments of that and the rhythms and see the colors and shapes and designs and how they were spinning. And during this, 
it did not look like a lot of people try to attribute a particular color to a particular chakra. So I'll tell you right now that I know to be true that it's not necessarily in those colors that you traditionally see in artwork. It depends on what someone's life work is, but that's a whole other story for another day. And as we're going through this, he kept saying, well, let me know, breathe out your fear. And as we finished all of them, there was this incredible symphony of sound, of sensations, of colors, um, iridescence, and it was an amazing, amazing feeling. And at that point, um, we repeated these exercises for a few days, and I, it's hard to recall at this point, but I believe it was three days. And my brother saw some of this happening and overheard some of this because I didn't want to be in my bed all the time. So I was in the living room. And as I would come out of each of these things, I would try the best I could to explain what this seemed like. And he said, okay. And I could tell he thought, maybe a little odd. Well, on one of those evenings, I believe it was the evening of the third day of these exercises, I went to bed. And I got the instructions again. Creator said, okay, we're going through the exercises another time. And so we did. And all of a sudden, I saw and felt my chest just burst wide open. And I left. I flew out of my body incredibly fast and started speeding through space. I was whizzing and traveling so fast through what I perceived as outer space. I don't really have another way of describing it other than these streaks of white light seemed to be that I was whizzing through the stars so fast they became streams of light. And it was even a sound that I could hear of the wind. And the further I went, the more things became very different. And I perceived that I was going further and further and further someplace that I did not know what this someplace was. And then this incredible, blissful feeling overtook my entire being and all of my energy fields. And the greatest example of how I could describe this is take the best orgasm you've ever had in your whole life and multiply it about a, about a million because I can't describe this indescribable ecstatic feeling. And it, yet it wasn't sexual. That's the point. It was so ecstatic. It was beyond sexuality. And as this was happening, I saw this huge light field, just brilliant, gorgeous white light. And I felt this incredible sense of unconditional love. I had never felt so loved in my life and the ecstatic sensations continued and the closer I came to this light the more loved I felt and all of a sudden this familiar inner male voice said okay Sue here we are and I realized that it was this light field speaking to me from inside of me and he somehow said, okay, let's turn you around. I need you to look at something. 
and I saw the earth looking very, very, very small off in the distance. He said, unlike some, you have a choice here, and it's a very important choice. And I said, what do you mean? And once again, video clips played out. And the first video clip was my funeral. I had died of a subdural brain hemorrhage. And I was pretty young for that. And I saw my family and friends just totally inconsolable at my death at such a young age. And it really tugged at me. And then the other scenario was for me to return to Earth in a very different way. And that video clip played out, again, showing me standing before crowds of people and helping thousands and thousands of people. And I, again, was not alone. I was standing there accompanied by this other being. An amazing, amazing situation beyond my wildest imagination, certainly. And at that point, Creator said, so here is your choice. You can go ahead and rejoin with me now. And it would be the subdural brain hemorrhage that takes this into that situation. Or if you choose to go back, you must commit to me that you will follow your true calling, your true path, which is to be a healer and a teacher. And I'd like to say it was a really simple choice, um, but it was hard. It was really hard to um, imagine me being a healer and a teacher, even though, as you just heard, I'd been told this before, and there were inklings of it earlier. And it was honestly seeing my funeral and how distraught my family and friends were that was more my motivation because even in that space, I had my doubts. So once I said, yes, I would like to go back to earth in a changed way and I do promise I will be a healer and a teacher. But I need help on how to do that. And of course, <laughs> that happened. So at this point, once I agreed, these amazing, loving beings surrounded me and started coaching me and teaching me on all these things. And some of the things they taught me had to do with how life on Earth works. And some of you have already read about this in my book, Nine Simple Laws to Create Joy and Grace, a comprehensive guide to manifestation, which is really about how the universe works. There's nine universal laws. There's not 50, there's not one, there's not three, there's nine. And the law of attraction is only one of the nine. And so in order to really interact in the way that the universe activates, you need to work with all nine laws. And therefore, that's part of the information that was bestowed to me. I was also given capacities to tune into people, um, for lack of a better word, and to work with their higher selves. So I called this intergalactic telephone. So we did this while I was out there in this space 
for my practice. And I would know if someone's higher self, which is their higher spiritual aspects, had received a message from me by that person's smile appearing on my face. So kind of message received and acknowledged. So I did proceed to do this with a few people in this space. I also had other items of information, some of which I didn't have a conscious recollection of. It started happening after I came back in time. So anyway, I came back um, from this experience absolutely, totally changed. But also saying, I take my commitment seriously, so I need to hurry up and start fixing the world. And I said, and I'm going to start with my own family. Well, I came back from this experience. I have no idea how I was, how long I was gone. An awful lot happened. And with this knowing, and I returned totally healed on every level, like I had never felt in my entire life before. No more brain injury, just total connectedness. I knew exactly what I needed to eat, what nutritional things had to happen, and how the food needed to be prepared. Everything was just crystal clear. So imagine when my brother wakes up in the morning and I tell him this, and he's like, ooh. And he's trying to placate me to a certain extent. And he said, well, you know, we have a follow-up appointment with the neurologist. And he said, but you're totally healed, so you're saying you need to start this work, um, wouldn't you need a leave of absence to, um, to be able to do this, to start doing this work? And I said, yeah. And here's where my ego at that time came in and I said, well, I let it go once, I can let it all go again. Not really giving God the credit for that miraculous healing that had happened to me. And at that point, uh, my brother's just kind of shaking his head a little bit. He said, well, whatever. So he drives me into Boston and we go to the neurologist's office and he's saying, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, we're in the waiting room here. I'm going to invite everything back in so that the doctor will see me the way I was before. And literally, as we were sitting there, I started going through these weird little contortions of things just tightening up and oh, just weird movements and oh, my head hurt so much and I got really confused and shortly after this we get called in and the doctor asked me who the President of the United States was. I couldn't answer it. I, I could not. I said, well, I, 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 I know, oh geez, I can't think of his name. I, I said, I'll get it in a minute. And then he did fine motor skills tests on me, and I flunked all of the fine motor skills, flunked the uh, larger balance things, everything. I, f I pretty much flunked. And he said, wow, this is, um, you've got a, a problem here. <laughs> and he said, you need a leave of absence. And I'm kind of smiling to myself, good. <laughs> I, I'm thinking to myself, this is exactly what I need. And he wrote me a medical leave of absence paperwork to take into the bank and I started my leave of absence and at the same time I started saying 
these things to my brother, I still had some capacity for some of these things, these knowings, and he called my parents, and he called a couple of my friends, and this intergalactic telephone, so I called it, and they said, oh my God, Sue's had a psychotic break, because even in my brought back into the bad situation, I still had my piece of that available to me. And they said she's had a psychotic break. She needs to go get checked out at a mental hospital. So unfortunately, um, that's what they did. They took me for a checkup. And despite how horrible I felt and all of these things that were happening, I had enough wits about me to say, I know I'm not insane. I know that this is all meant to be. So as I was there with the psychiatrist who was evaluating me, he said, I understand you're hearing voices and that you're doing this thing called intergalactic telephone and that you think that you're communicating with other people's higher selves. He said, can you explain this to me? And uh, one thing I forgot to mention a little bit earlier, during this whole time, I actually was totally unable to sleep. I was awake all the time. I was able to meditate and do those chakra clearing exercises, but I was unable to actually fall asleep. And I said to the doctor, I said, have you ever had total insomnia and have, you know, 10 days to two weeks with absolutely no sleep? And he said, no, I have not. And I said, well, I'm sure you have read studies or heard case histories when someone's deprived of sleep a certain length of time, the kind of the lines get grayed out as far as what's happening. And I said, at this point, I can't tell you what's happening to me. I really don't know, but I really need to sleep. I can't think straight and I have pounding headaches and he noticed too I was shaking like really shaky and he he said you know you're as sane as I am there's nothing wrong with you in a mental state he said but you have something called post-concussive syndrome he said the axions in your brain that help connect different parts of the brain, including the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, were damaged in the car accident. And he said, you will recover from this, but it's going to take time. He said, no, I'm not checking you into this hospital, but you need someone to be helping you for a little while because your brain needs a total rest in order for it to heal. And my brother had indicated obviously he would take me back home to my family and that I would go there to recover. So I couldn't do any of the normal things anyway at that point in time. I didn't know how to write a check for my checkbook, didn't know how to balance my checkbook. So we got back to my hometown and I basically handed over my checkbook to my father. My brother had forwarded my mail there so that the bills would go there and I stayed there while I recuperated. And I said to them, I shared some of what had happened to me and they still thought I was a bit loopy. And I said, no, trust me, I, I was there. I was there and God blessed me with this whole situation. 
and I said, but I'm going to go ahead and release it again. So I tried every day, every day, every day. I was trying to re-clear as I had done it in the near-death experience. And um, it took seven years this next time. So that was a huge lesson for me about thinking that I really had anything to do with any of this. And so every single day of my life, I count my blessings and I know that none of this work is really about me at all. It's that I've been blessed to be a vessel for God's work and for God's wisdom in order to be able to help people to help themselves and be empowered. And I can't say it's always easy. There are days I'm like, what was I thinking when I agreed to come back? It's not always easy uh, being me. And when I first uh, came back and started recovering from this, I actually couldn't shut off all the spiritual information. And I could see people's stuff just hanging out. And it basically boiled down to um, I would be in the subway and I could see this man's emotional issues or his structural issues to his spine and I would know that this man had an issue with hating women because of what his mother had done to him when he was seven years old. And it's just information I didn't want to know so for a while that was so hard and it took me a while to be able to quote unquote shut it down or put it in neutral so to speak put it in park and I did I did learn how to do that but it's hard to go to the grocery store or be in another setting in like with regular people and have all this and the other thing not only is it hard to be able to kind of keep your sanity when you're kind of living in two worlds at the same time but the other thing to me integrity and honesty and respecting people's privacy is huge so that was another reason I didn't want this on all the time because I'm the last person that would want to invade someone's privacy I would never tune into someone without their permission and so there it is that's the beginnings of how I became a medical intuitive and I'm sure other pieces to the story will come along as we go further into the podcasts and that was the bare bones of it and I think there's some more fun stuff I could share, but we'll sign off for today. It's been a great time spending this chatting with you, or chatting at you, I guess we should say. And until next time, be well, be healthy, and stay sane. Thanks. Bye-bye.